This is Health Yeah, your weekly update on what's going on in the health, wellness, and medical world with Monica Robbins. Hey everyone, welcome to Health Yeah, your prescription for clear, concise medical health and wellness information. I'm Monica Robbins. You know, we've been talking a lot about clinical trials and especially you've heard about them dealing with the COVID vaccine, but there is a serious lack of diversity and gender in traditional clinical trials. And today we're talking about why women remain underrepresented in a number of clinical trials, especially those dealing with cardiovascular disease, because we all know cardiovascular disease, heart disease is the number one killer of women. So why is this happening? So to help me talk about this and discuss this disparity is Dr. Leslie Cho from Cleveland Clinic. She is also the lead author of a recent study on this subject. Dr. Cho, always great to see you. Thank you so much for joining me. So I have to ask you, it's 2021. You would think by this point, pharmaceutical companies, medical centers, they would have figured this out. Weren't they supposed to? Well, I mean, uh, uh, thank you for having me. It's really great to see you. And you know, it's the fault is really not all um, pharmaceutical or the regulators or anyone. I think you know, there's some real issues out there that uh, pertain to women and underrepresented minorities. There are some cultural and historical issues. There are some logistical issues that have really um, prevented women from equal participation in clinical trials. Back in 1990s, the NIH, um, you know, uh, sent out a mandate saying that, you know, women have to participate in trials, that trials have to have women. Um, and we've done a, a good job as a society of increasing that, but women still make up 30% of clinical trials, especially cardiology trials. And they, some of them even make up less than 30% in device and intervention trials. And th there are many reasons that you and I are gonna go through now that, um, that uh, have contributed to that low enrollment, but it's more than just one actor, I think. Let's, let's start with the basics. What is the typical breakdown of today's clinical trials? You know, I've seen statistics that it skews 80% white and male. That's probably true. Uh, you know, our paper looked at cardiology trials and cardiology trials, we have something called um, disease prevalence ratio uh, or participant prevalence ratio. And that ratio tells us, you know, women have all this disease and men have all this disease. So what is that equitable number that they should be participating? And that equitable number is, is somewhere above 0.8 but for women with coronary artery disease and women um, in device trials and intervention trials, it's much lower than that at 0.6 um, or 0.5. Now in heart failure trials, women tend to do a little bit better um, and that's good. But for um, coronary artery disease trials and trials that use devices, it's very much the percentage you coded. Um, it tends to be heavily focused on Caucasian males. So what's the detriment to not having more women represented in these trials? As you said in the introduction, the detriment is that we, these devices get approved for 
everyone in the population. And yet only very few women participate and women tend to metabolize drugs differently. Women tend to bleed more with certain devices. And then we find out after the approval that we have to be more careful in women or we have to maybe uh, really regulate the use of certain things in women. And so it's really critically important um, that women and underrepresented minorities participate in trials before these devices or drugs get approved so we understand how they work um, before they're mass approved and they can have some you know, unfortunate side effects. How frustrating is that for you as a cardiologist and a woman knowing you know, a new drug comes on the market or a new device comes on the market and you're about to prescribe it for a female patient and you're not exactly sure what's going to happen? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, I'm an interventional cardiologist and I put stents in people. And, and when I was going through training, we used to do everything by uh, the femoral, which is the groin um, method. And we always use the same size sheet because that's where all these devices were, you know, tested in the sheath uh, through the femoral in males mostly. And women were bleeding at, you know, a mate, like ridiculously high rate. And it was really, um, it, it was it was astounding um, when, you know, we started to dive into some of these bleeding complications to see the drugs that were being used and the differential bleeding effect between men and women, it was shocking. Um, and so I think, you know, for me as a clinician, but as a woman, it's so important that we keep this front and center. And, you know, a lot of times what I tell patients is that, you know, clinical trials, you do it for yourself. There's some benefits to the patient who are doing it, but you do it for your children, your grandkids, for society, so that they, so that we can all benefit from the knowledge that's gained. The sheath uh, dealing with that is a great example. Are, are you familiar with any medications that, you know, recently that may have been put on the market that affected women very, very differently than men? Well, there are um, some, uh, there are some psych medications that have that differential effect. All uh, blood thinning medications, they tend to have um, more bleeding complications in women. Um, some of the drugs that were um, initially tested or initially approved for women um, during intervention, during cardiac interventions, they tend to have much, much higher rates of bleeding complications in women. We know that now, um, and we tend to uh, be more mindful about using that drug in uh, women. These are things like the 2B3A inhibitors. We are more mindful of the dosing uh, of drug thinners in women because they tend to you know, bleed more. We are more mindful of the different sizes of sheath uh, in women. Um, yeah, there are, I mean, the, the list can go on and on and on. So your study looked at eight barriers to this. Can you, let's go through those and explain like, you know, ultimately how do we fix this? Yes, yes, no, no, no. It's all about hope and it's all about trying to make things better. And I think the number one thing is what you're doing uh, with me today, which is raising awareness. I mean, I think that's critical. When you tell women, um, you know, about the clinical trials and, you know, it's like heart disease. 
you know, before the 19, really the late 90s um, and early 20s, early 2000s, you know, the Go Red for uh, Go Red for Women's campaign, the American Heart Association campaign, was started because women didn't know that the number one cause of death was heart disease. Remember, it was all about breast cancer and gynecological cancer, which are so important. But the number one cause of um, death for women are heart disease. And it took awareness. It took raising of awareness, societal and personal, to really bring that front and center. So, so I think raising awareness is critical. That's, that's um, one of the, you know, for physicians as well as for patients is super important. The differential care, the low rate of referral to cardiologists and specialty programs where um, there are trials and trials are commonly being recruited, I think is a very important issue for women. Even now in 2021, women get less referral to heart failure clinics and some of the other specialty clinics. There's a huge component of ageism. Older patients are disproportionately underrepresented in clinical trials. And you know, women present 10 years later than men, so they tend to be even more underrepresented because you know, they, they are older. There is a sort of lack of awareness, but also logistical barriers. You know, women tend to provide care to their families. And so sometimes these clinical trials have a lot of follow-ups and a lot of inpatient visits, and, and that's a huge logistical barrier for women. And, when, with the, the only good thing to come of COVID, which is the wide embrace of telemedicine and the ability to see our patients via Zoom, like you and I are doing today, I mean, that can really be a game changer for clinical trials because we can do it now with much more convenience. The other um, important factor is lack of diversity in clinical trial leadership. You know, uh, women are underrepresented in clinical trial leadership and research has shown that trials that are led by women tend to recruit more women participants because women understand other women and, and uh, things that are going through. The, it's important to continue to think about special consideration for pregnant women and women of childbearing age. Um, and, you know, they're frequently excluded from trials, um, but I think it's really important that they be considered a special population and you know these uh, drugs um, and how they impact pregnancy is very important and we need to continue to uh, think about that. There are obviously sex differences and diseases that lead to sort of differential um, uh, prevalence, but nevertheless that they don't explain everything about how they um, impact this incredible disparity in clinical trial enrollment. And then lastly, I think we have to really, as a society, think about the underrepresented minority women in clinical cardiovascular trials. You know, African-American women have the highest rates of cardiovascular mortality. Um, it's where, where they get their care and, it's really important that clinical trials be made available no matter where you live or where you get your care. And now with the internet and with um, avail availability of telemedicine, it's really important to make that be part of good clinical medicine, having the opportunity for our patients to know about trials and to participate in trials. 
That's uh that's something I know a lot of people who, you know, may not be in the medical field who are listening to this are probably thinking, wait a minute, this is all targeted to doctors. It's not because, no. you know, I often talk about you need to be your own health advocate. You need to step up. You need to ask questions. And one of those things you can ask, I, I know when I had my surgery, I took part in two clinical trials. And that's something that I think a lot of women don't understand that they have that ability, but how does one get involved in a clinical trial? So, uh, Monica, thank you for participating in clinical trial. You not only helped yourself, but you helped your daughter, your granddaughter, and all the other women who are gonna you know, benefit from that knowledge, so thank you. When, if you are interested, ask your doctor first. If your doctor doesn't know, there are websites you can go to. One of the websites is clinicaltrial.gov. It is a website that is sponsored by the National Institute of Health. It's really important uh, website because that's where doctors go to, but you can go there as a patient. You type in your disease and it'll list the trials that are ongoing. Um, where you can find out whether you, you know, may qualify for a trial. So for example, patients with high lipoprotein A level, that's a, a genetic cholesterol uh, problem that can lead to early heart attack, can go to that website, type in the trial, and there's like five or six trials that are currently ongoing, um, and they can find out more about it. The other way is to go to large institutions like ourselves, Cleveland Clinic. Um, you can email us at heartcenter.clevelandclinic.org, which is ccf.org, to find out about clinical trials. You can put in your um, cardiac issues, and then we can figure out whether we have a trial that you may be able to participate in. But it's so important. It's so critically important um, to participate. And, and there's you know, personal benefit too. There are, there are papers, it's amazing, um, of people who, uh, people who participate in clinical trials, they actually do better. They actually have less heart attack, less stroke, um, and less death. And, and the reason why they have that is because they tend to get taken care of much more frequently. They get more visits with physicians, they get more visits with nurses because somebody's following them up very closely, their blood pressure, their, you know, their, all their other parameters, so they get better taken care of. Um, and of course, they, you know, are exposed to cutting edge uh, medicine. So it's an immediate benefit as well as a societal benefit as well. So how do you um, dispel the myth of, I don't want to be a guinea pig, you know, because that, I hear that a lot. There's yeah. no way I want to be part of that because I don't want them experimenting on me. Can you explain, um, you know, how the way clinical trials are done now, that's not the way they're done, really? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that is the number one thing we hear. I don't want to be a guinea pig. Now, um, we have to sort of acknowledge the the history um, of, of 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 especially minorities in in America um, with clinical trials and all the unfortunate things that have occurred um, in our past. Um, but the current era of clinical trial really is incredibly safe and and 
we're going to just quickly try to explain how clinical trial works. But clinical trials are done in phases. So phase one is where you take healthy patients and you see if the drug causes um, side effects, severe side effects. So that is phase one. When the phase one is completed and the drug is considered safe, now before they can come to phase one, it's you know tested in animals and it's test you know it, it goes through rigorous testing. Phase one is a uh, part of the trial where the FDA and the company test this particular drug or device in patients who are healthy. Um, and, and I'm going to be focusing on drugs because that's most relevant, I think. Um, they test it on healthy patients. And if there are no side effects, then in phase two, it's a much larger um, uh, group of patients. And it's tested for that particular population of disease that they're treating. Um, so for example, uh, phase one would be studying. So let's take a, something we know well, which is people with cholesterol, a cholesterol defect. So phase one will test people who are healthy, but who have that particular cholesterol problem. And let's say it passes the safety standard. Then phase two of the drug will test the drug in a patient with the cholesterol problem, but who have, let's say, coronary artery disease. And to see if it's safe in that patient population. And in so you go from a people with really no cardiac disease with cardiac disease. And once it's considered safe, then a final phase before improvement is called phase three. Phase three is usually thousands and thousands of people. It's usually multinational where the drug is tested after it passed the safety standard for efficacy, which is, does it lower heart attack? Does it lower stroke? Does it lower death? And so by the time you're in the phase three of the trial, it's proven safety uh, for, you know, for, I would say, majority uh, of the patients. The, the benefit of the trial and, and the, the benefit of the trial is even if you get the tr drug or you don't get the drug, one of the true benefit is, is that you get very good care. You get optimal care um, while you're in the trial. So many of these trials last for five years, you get you know, great um, clinical care very uh, close follow-up for five years. And, and there, are there are trials, there are studies, as I as said before, where patients who participate in trials actually do better than patients who don't participate in trials. Um, and so I think you can, um, I, I, so I think that's a, a good news. The other important thing to remember is that during the trial, you're, you're followed so closely for any side effect that, the, that if there is any sort of side effect or any kind of um, event that occurs, that drug is stopped and you're monitored and people are following you incredibly closely. Um, so, so you can feel sort of safe about that. At any point, you can stop participating in trials. This is you know, your 
part voluntary participation. So at any point you can stop participating. You know, it took really um, wonderful altruistic people who first, you know, uh, participate in trials for us to now have standard therapy. So people who've had a heart attack, they owe a debt of gratitude. If you've had a stent, if you've been on blood thinners, if you had AFib and you had an ablation, or you had heart surgery and you got a valve, or you have, you know, you are on cholesterol-lowering medicine, that all happened because good people participate in clinical trials. That all came to be. You benefited, you live longer because, you know, people participated in clinical trials and proved the point that these things made a real difference. You know, I, I heard as you were talking about phase one and phase two and safety, I could hear people thinking, wait a minute, you know, I don't want to be the one that something bad may happen to them. But again, you brought up the point that you are monitored so closely with this. I mean, this is better than your health insurance would give you for. Oh, one. yeah. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. The other the other aspect to this is don't most people get compensated for clinical trials? Yes, yeah, some people do get compensated for clinical trials. Some people get the drug after it's been approved for many years following the trial. But, but really, that you know, we you we want you to participate because you know patients have a passion um, for it, and uh, and you know there are drugs that people are dying to participate in. You know, you don't you just have to cross the street and go to the cancer center um, to see people you know wanting to participate in clinical trials. Um, but for cardiac disease, we, we really don't have that kind of urgency, and, but we really should um, have that kind of urgency to participate. In phase one, most of them are so closely monitored, they're observed overnight in our clinical trials unit. So we currently at Cleveland Clinic have a couple of phase one trials that are enrolling, and we watch them in hospital for 24 hours overnight to make sure they have, you know, no uh, side effect, that they're that closely monitored. So by the time most patients, uh, you know, people participating or, or looking at this uh, on through the internet, most of you won't have that uh, ability to participate in phase one. By the time, you know, you hear about it, it'll be phase three. So countless people have participated in phase one and two, before you can even do phase three. But if you are uh, one of the phase one um, participants, most of the time they're monitored in inpatient. So bottom line, ask your doctor about any clinical trials that are you know, obviously in phase three by this point that you could participate in and understand the importance of what you're doing and the benefit that you may be getting access, whether you know, if you don't get the placebo, you may be getting access to a drug that will help change your life, better your life, or, um, you know, if you do get the placebo, I assume you would, if the drug does get approved, you would get access to it first? Yes, yes, yes. Oftentimes, um, they do get access to it first. Um, they, um, regardless of whether they had placebo or whether they had the active drug, if the drug is approved, um, they both get access to the drug. Um, 
So any final thoughts you want women to take away from this, um, the importance of this, and, and also to those physicians who may be watching and listening, what they need to remember if they're planning clinical trials? Well, I'm gonna speak to the patients first. And, and for those of you who are even thinking about participating in clinical trials, please, and thank you um, for thinking about it even and being open to it. It's important for you, but it's also important for your kids and for your grandkids, and it's important for society. So I think, you know, that's, so I urge you, if you are um, asked to really seriously consider participating in clinical trials. And for um, the physicians out there, you know, oftentimes in our busy day, we don't think about clinical trials, uh, and it's really important to think about clinical trials and, and in a particular population and not let, whether they're a woman or whether they are older, um, you know, prevent us from enrolling in, in enrolling patients into trials. I think we also have to be very, very mindful about how to make it easier for our patients um, to participate in clinical trials. You know, I, I um, I often sit on the clinical trial steering committee. And, you know, I think as a physician, I always tell the insurance companies, not the, the, the drug companies, how important it is to make it easier for our clinicians um, to help our patients get into trials as well. Um, it's really important to have that kind of awareness and that availability be open to everyone um, so that they can get the very best care. Um, you know, heart disease is preventable. That's the beauty of heart disease. It's 90% preventable. And we want to do everything we can to live a, a long life, but a high quality of life. And that happens with advance in clinical medicine. And that happens when people participate in clinical trials. You've brought up so many great points. Dr. Cho, thank you so much for sharing your insight with this. Uh, I will put a link to clinicaltrials.gov in the explainer of this podcast, as well as to Cleveland Clinic and to your study as well, so people can read more about why this issue is so incredibly important. Again, Dr. Cho, thank you so much. Thank you, Monica. Please find me on Twitter and Instagram at Monica Robbins. Like and follow my Facebook page, Monica Robbins WKYC. Subscribe and find video podcasts on my YouTube channel, Monica Robbins. Until next time, have a healthy week. Thanks for listening to Health Yeah! with Monica Robbins from WKYC Studios. Subscribe now so you never miss an update. And find more on everything you heard here on WKYC.com and on the WKYC app.